Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. All right. If you've got your copy of God's Word, grab your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible today with you, there's a hardback black one and a pew rack in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible. Let that be our gift to you. And uh, we would love, we would absolutely love uh, to let you have that Bible, read it, study it, get into it. And, and if you let that word get into you, I promise it'll change you and you will not be the same. Uh, as you're turning there in Luke chapter 16... Let me just give a couple of uh, uh, reminders. Um, number one is on your way in, you should have gotten a, uh, a nomination, or not a nomination form, but a, an election form. Uh, on one side is deacon election, on the other side is trustee election. We'll be taking just a moment at the end of our service uh, to have call us into church conference, to have a brief family meeting where we uh, do trustee election and deacon election. I will bring that up more clearly at the end. Also today, uh, we have a block party. This is our, I'm trying to think, third block party at Applewood Villas. And we're going to be going there at 5 o'clock. So when it is the hottest part of the day, that's when we're going. Um, and uh, we'll be going to Applewood. And by God's grace, we have seen salvations uh, through this ministry. We've seen baptisms. And it's just going to be a great day. So uh, if you would like to join in what God's doing, come and be a part from 5 to 7 and uh, it's just going to be a great day. And also, if this is your first time here as a guest, thanks for being here. Uh, we don't take that lightly. Please, um, if you would, uh, grab a Guest Connect card in the pew rack in front of you. Fill that out, and after the service, we would love to meet you out front at the Welcome Center and uh, grab that information from you and give you a gift bag uh, that just tells you a little bit about our church. Now, as we come into this sermon today... Uh, let me set up the series. We're talking through our membership expectations. And our membership expectations, we have five of them. Now, um, why membership expectations? We've just come off of eight weeks of preaching through this is who God's called us to be as a church. So we talked about vision, mission, and strategy. We have eight vision points. We have a mission statement. Our mission statement is very simple. It's to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus and we do that by three D's. We declare the gospel, say them with me, disciple the believer, and deploy the church. Um, so we declare, disciple, and deploy. And that is this cycle that we see. We declare it, we disciple, we deploy, so that you can declare, so that you can disciple, so that you can deploy. So that is the idea. And so we've talked through that. We have at our church five expectations of members, uh, and those are pretty simple. We believe that uh, if you're a member of Seneca Baptist Church, number one, you should come to church. That's a, an important part of being a part of our church. Number two is Sunday school. And last week we looked at this and why it's so important for us 
to come to Sunday school. Uh, and we talked about uh, uh, this week will be generosity, next week will be service, and the last week will be doctrine or uh, the Baptist faith and message. And so those are the, our five membership expectations. You say, why do we have membership expectations? We believe uh, that membership matters. We believe that the church of Jesus Christ is so important and central to his redemptive plan in the world that to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ is to be a part of something that is eternal and it matters more than anything else in the world. And we believe to be a part of the church, we should not have a low bar but a high bar for being a part of God's church. Amen? And so that's what we believe in. And so a few just simple uh, reasons why we have expectations. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, How can two people walk together unless they first agree? And so we just want to be clear this is what it is to be a part of our church. We want to agree on those things. Um, we also believe that each one of these are biblical principles. Now, like I said last week, you can't find in the Bible a passage that says, Thou shalt go to Sunday school, right? Uh, but you can see all throughout the scripture how the church organized themselves into small groups of people, of worshipers, of believers, and they took care of one another, and they met each other's needs, and they worshiped together. And so our small groups here at Seneca Baptist is what we call Sunday school. We believe they're biblical principles. We believe that each one of these expectations is not um, anything more than good for your soul. It's good for our hearts to be a part of worship, to be a part of small group, to be generous, uh, to serve, and to believe sound doctrine. We also, uh, we just, we know that we can't accomplish the mission without doing it together. And we want to walk together. And so this is why we have them. It's not that we have a checkbox at the beginning of the service that we're standing at the doors watching who's coming in and who's coming out. And, and we don't have that checkbox. We don't want to become Pharisees whatsoever. But we want to make sure that to the best of our ability, we're shepherding you well. We're helping you. And so that's where we are. So today is generosity. Generosity. And so before, we can't talk about generosity without stewardship. Now, I know, I know. Um, some of you came in today and you said, I hope I just get an encouraging message about life or something. And you walked in and hear preachers talking about money, okay? And so we talk about generosity. And you might walk into a church and this is the sermon that you've heard that has turned you off of the church. And what I hope that you hear today is not that we want something from you, but we believe that generosity is good for you and that through generosity, God will do things in your life that without generosity, He could never do. We believe that generosity is good for your soul. Uh, not, uh, it has nothing to do that, with something that we want from you. Now, generosity and stewardship go hand in hand. Generosity is, as Jackson put it, the willingness to give uh, to others, the willingness to give to others. Um, and here at Seneca Baptist, when we talk about generosity, it feels like I'm preaching to the choir. Now, I love what God has done financially through our church, and here's what I mean by that. Um, every year, uh, we give away from our church to missions and missions agencies, funding seminaries and missionaries. Um, we give away over $150,000 every year uh, to the kingdom outside of these walls. 
And so I think that is something that is an incredible uh, idea of generosity. It's been ingrained in Seneca Baptist for far longer than I have been around. This church is a generous church. And what I found out at Seneca Baptist is that whenever a need has arisen in the life of Seneca Baptist, the people of God have risen to the occasion and God through His people has provided for that need right here at Seneca Baptist. And so it's an incredible thing. But generosity is not just about money. It is about money, but it's not just about money. It's about time, talents, and tithe. So before we can get to the topic and before we get to our text, we got to recognize that inside the church, and I'll use that word lightly, there's some not good teaching and maybe even some false teaching about money. And so I just want to kind of run through those. Mr. James, uh, these are up on the screen, I believe, some false teachings about money. One would be the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. Have you ever heard something like that that would say that God wants you to be healthy and He wants you to be wealthy and He wants you to be um, uh, 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 to drive a nice car, to live in a big house. He wants you to do all these things. And so if you are in debt, if you don't have much, you obviously don't have enough faith. So there is this prosperity gospel that is exploding around our world that would say if you don't have enough, it's your fault. There's something lacking in your life. He wants you to be out of debt. He wants you to be rich. Um, There's a a big televangelist that you may have heard of named Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn. And and I would say with all of my heart that you need to steer clear from Benny Hinn. And if you want a list of others that you should stay away from, I could help you out with that. But there's false teaching regarding the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. Um, I I remember a movie, a 1992 movie, don't judge me, okay, uh, with a guy named Steve Martin in it. Uh, This is where you don't judge me. Uh, And it was called uh, Leap of Faith. Does anybody remember this movie? All right, just us sinners, just a few of us. uh, Praise the Lord, I'm glad you're with me. And um, the subtitle of the movie was Real Miracles Sensibly Priced. Real mir- You'll pick that up on the way home. Okay, never mind. Uh, the prosperity gospel is a big deal, and it is growing in many areas around our world, in our country, and hugely in the sub-Saharan Africa um, region. And so this idea. Okay, another false teaching would be that what you have depends on you. What you have depends on you. And some of us think that we have a lot because we have done good things in our past. And so God is blessing us for the good things that we've done. And if I don't have right now, obviously I've done something wrong in the past. And God is punishing me for that thing wrong in the past. And what I have depends on me. Or another way to think about what I have depends on me is I've worked my tail off for what I have. I've worked hard and I have accrued this wealth and I've done it. And so I just want to ask to that person who might think that, aren't there other people who have worked just as hard as you have who don't have what you do? And the answer would be, of course there are. Of course there are. And to take it a step further, where'd you get the ability to make wealth? And we would have to recognize that that ability comes from who? God. Well, I'm smart. Where'd that come from? I'm a good entrepreneur. Where'd that come from? 
Ultimately, every gift that we have comes from God. Now, another false teaching would be that money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Money is the root of all evil. Now, that is a misquote of the Scripture. The Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. Here, here's the question. Is money in and of itself an evil thing? No. No. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's got the biggest checkbook in the universe, right? He moves money where he wants money to move. So money is not evil in and of itself, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And then maybe even uh, a touchy one, but um, a wealthy person can't get into heaven. A wealthy person can't get into heaven. And if so, many of us are in trouble because comparatively, we are wealthy. Now, all of us would say, well, I'm not wealthy. That's somebody else. You know, what we do, what we do, I don't know why we do it, but what we do is we often look at the group that's just above us and say, it's those people that are wealthy, but not me. Not, I'm not wealthy. I'm just doing okay. I'm just making it by. But those people, they're wealthy. When in fact, we are an incredibly wealthy generation. Now, there's some false teaching. There is some false teaching. But on the other hand, Jesus spoke about money a lot. Did you, have you ever read the Gospels? You read the Gospels and a lot of Jesus' teaching is about money. Six, in fact, 16 of the 38 parables are about money have to do with money and possessions. One out of ten verses in the Gospels deal directly with the subject of money. Now, the Bible has 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, but speaks more than 2,000 times on money and possessions. And Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined. Isn't that interesting? So why? We have to ask why. Because Jesus knows that wealth and riches are dangerous, far more dangerous to our souls than we'd probably like to admit. And that's why Jesus taught so much about it. Or he may have said something along the lines of, where your treasure is, finish it with me, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to ask as we start Today, talking about generosity, where's your treasure? Because if you say, my treasure's in an account, a safe, my treasure is in this home that I've dreamed for, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we've got to guard our hearts. Jesus taught a parable about the soils. Remember the four kinds of soil? There were the sower sowed the seed, and one seed fell on the path and the birds came and took it away one seed fell in rocky ground the third one fell in thorny soil and when jesus described the thorny soil he calls it the worries of today and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and make it unfruitful do you remember that so jesus taught that riches were deceitful now can i just have a confession time that's why you're here, right? To hear your pastor confess to you. I struggle with generosity. Not, not with the action necessarily, but with the heart behind it. Um, when Liz and I first got to Seneca Baptist Church, we set up an automatic withdrawal um, 
because on Sunday morning, the last thing that I'm thinking about is writing a check. And so we set it up that it would do that automatically for us. Um, And so I struggle with the heart behind it because when I don't do it, and I don't think about it, I don't think about it. When I don't think about writing a check, it's, it's often just something that's in the background. It's not coming from the heart. Uh, so so it's, I struggle oftentimes with joy in giving because it's automatic. I struggle with seeing opportunities for generosity and meeting them. I struggle with seeing everything that we have as belonging to the Lord. And so, today, if you're struggling with this topic, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. So let's grab our word, let's open it, let's see what God has to say in Luke chapter 16. Are you there? Amen? Okay, word of God says, Luke chapter 16, 1 through 13, He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. For you can no longer be manager. Verse 3. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master's taking away the management from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? Verse 6. He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Verse 10, One who's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Father, please, through your word, teach us, change us, make us more like Jesus. Help us to have a heart of generosity in all things. For your sake, for the mission of God, for the kingdom, the gospel going forward around the world. Help us to be generous. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is a story of a manager a steward who was entrusted with his master's money. Now, the steward was wasting the master's money, and so charges were brought against the steward who was unfaithful. Now, I have to stop. I have to ask you a question. Now, the charge was that you're wasting the master's money. Now, if the master, God, were to look at us, into our bank accounts, into our wallets, into our pocketbooks, and what would he say about how you and I are spending the master's resources. What would he say? Would he look at you and me and would he say those people are spending that well? Are they wasting the master's money or are they using it 
well for the kingdom? What would he say about us? How would God judge us? Would he judge us faithful or unfaithful? So, the steward in the story is about to lose his job, his position, his own livelihood, and he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? He says, he even says, I'm, I'm too weak to dig, I'm ashamed to beg, what am I going to do? In verse 4, he says, ah, I got it, I've decided what I'm going to do, and listen to it in verse 4, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Here's my plan, and so here's the plan. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is that he was generous with the master's money. That he was generous with the master's money. Look at verse 5. So, he says, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He says, 50. 50 measures of oil. Isn't that what it is? Where is it? He says, sorry. A hundred measures of oil. He said, take your bill, sit down and write 50. Now, that is something. Something is very interesting. He says, write 50. He goes to another one. He says, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. He says, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 80. Write 80. The steward here is utilizing the master's possessions in his final moments to be generous to other people in order to gain their favor. When he says, how much do you owe my master? And you say to him, a hundred. He says, change it to 50 real quick because I'm still in management. Change it to 50. What's that person going to say? Oh, thank you. What can I do to repay you? He's using the master's money in order to gain people's favor. Now understand, if I did this with the church's money, you would not commend me. Amen? You would call the police and you would fire me, and they would come and take me away. This is dishonest. The master, though, does not condemn the steward, but commends him. Look at verse, I think it's verse 8. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, the King James Version says he commended him for what he did wisely, all that he had done wisely. The King James Version in the next verse says, For the sons of the world are more wise in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So the master did not condemn the steward, but he commended him. Why? Listen to me, church. In his final moments, the steward was using something that was fading to gain something that was lasting. The steward, this dishonest, shrewd steward, was using something that was temporary to gain something that was eternal. Most of us have this backward. Most of us, we leverage long-term value for short-term gain. We leverage eternity for the here and the now. And Jesus is taking this and turning it on its head and he's saying, you want to know what faithfulness in the kingdom regarding money and time and talents and resources is? You leverage everything that's temporary for all that's eternal. He had fleeting moments of stewarding these riches and he's stewarding them in such a way to gain long-term rewards. That's why Jesus tells this parable about a corrupt manager who thinks better than we sometimes do. He even says at verse 8, 
For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And this passage is forcing us to recognize that we're simply stewards. That we're just managers of what does not ultimately belong to us. Now that's a hard word for us. We often say, well, it's mine. I worked hard for it. I saved up a long time. And this passage is reminding us that everything comes from the Master and everything will be passed on to someone else one day or another. It's temporarily in our hands. And so the question for us is, what are we doing with it while it's in our hands? And can we just acknowledge the Master, God, the Father, has been so generous to us. So, so generous to you and to me. So in verse 9, it says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by the means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Jesus is encouraging His people to use the Master's resources in such a way that when the resources are gone, there will be a return on investment that will last for an eternity to come. So that when money fails, and it will, you'll have eternal dwellings. This is one of those sermons I will rarely get an amen to. Give me the gospel. Let me preach the gospel. I'll get amens all day, right? Talk about stewarding God's resources well. As stewards of God's resources, we're not simply saving them. Do you remember the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25? What the, what the wicked steward do? The wicked manager, he, he took the talent that the master gave him and he did what with it? Dug a hole? He buried it? That's not what we're called to do. Do you remember what the master, when he returned, said to that guy? You're a wicked servant. He said, you thought you knew me. You don't know me. If you really knew me, you would have taken it. You would have put it in the bank. And at least it would have gained some interest. But you buried it. And he says to that servant, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. We're not just saving them, put, digging a hole and burying them. We're learning to invest God's resources in such a way that there is a spiritual return on earthly investments. Why can we be generous? Because we're giving away what ultimately belongs to God in the first place. And just like in this passage, he was being generous with what belonged to the master. Why can we be generous? Because we're giving away what ultimately doesn't belong to me in the first place. Is that confronting to us as Americans? The second thing I want you to see in this passage is that God's looking for faithful stewards. He is looking for faithful stewards. Look at verses 10 through 12. One who's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth... Who will entrust to you the true riches? He says if you're faithful in a little, you're going to be faithful in a lot. So do you feel like you have a little right now? 
be faithful in a little. How many of you have said to your children at some point in time, or you've heard said, maybe in your, your class that you taught or something like that, you said, if you'll be faithful, if you'll, if you'll show me that I can trust you here with this much, I'll give you more responsibility. Have you ever said that or heard that? Has that ever been said to you? Miles, has that ever been said to you? He just rolls his eyes and goes, no, of course not. That's exactly what the text is saying. God's looking for faithful stewards. When I understand that everything belongs to God, it doesn't make me careless. It makes me more careful. It doesn't make me frivolous. It pushes me to be faithful. I want God to find me trustworthy. Why? Because everything that I currently have in my hands belongs to Him. And one day I'll have to give an account for it. Chip Ingram, um, in a book that he wrote, he says this is why Jesus talks about money so often. It's because the way we handle money, our trustworthiness as his stewards is one of the most accurate reflections of our relationship with him. Time out. If the way that we handle finances, resources, time, talents, and tithe is one of the most accurate reflections of our relationship to God, what does the way that you handle money say about your relationship? Man, that's tough. So when there are issues in my pocketbook, what, what is this a sign of? It's a sign that there are issues in my heart. He tells a story, Chip Ingram tells a story about how when he took his first pastorate, there was a man in the church, a benevolent man in the church, who said, Pastor, come to lunch with me. He took him to a fine lunch at a nice restaurant somewhere in Dallas. And he took him to this lunch and he said, Okay, Pastor, I have a plan. Here's the plan. I've opened an account. It's got $10,000 in it. And I know that there are going to be people that come to the church that have needs. And I'm going to give this money in, into a special account that you can use as you see fit for the meeting of other people's needs. And the pastor thought to himself, wow. Some of us would go, whoa, what freedom. Praise the Lord, I can spend $10,000 however I want. But the pastor said, it didn't make me careless. But every time there was a need that arose, I wanted to have a conversation with the owner of the account. He said, so that pastor and that man in his church had many lunches over the days that followed because he wanted to be faithful to the one who owned the account. And that is the way that we are with what God has given us to steward. Now, listen to me, church family. We're not just accountable to how we spend 10%. Let's, let's say we tithe 10%. We're not just accountable for the 10%. Let's say you tithe 50%. We're not just accountable for the 50% that we tithe. But we're accountable for the 10% and the 90% left over. That's what it means to be stewarding, good stewards and generous is not just the 10%, but all of it. How are we stewarding 100% of what ultimately belongs to God? That's good stewarded, stewardship. And so at the church, and in, we want to be good stewards of what belongs to God, whether it's finances in our budget or whether it's the building that we have. 
We want to be good stewards. The third thing that I want you to see in this text is that we have a choice between temporary trappings and eternal treasures. He says in verse 10, if you're faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in much. Then in verse 11, he goes on, he says, if then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. That word for wealth is mammon. You've probably heard that word in other places. Matthew chapter 6, I believe it is. He says, that mammon, that unrighteous wealth in possessions, he says, who will entrust to you the true riches? Verse 12, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? You see the comparison he's making? This faithful and little, faithful and much, unrighteous wealth and true riches. If you're not faithful in what belongs to someone else, how are you going to be faithful in what belongs to you? There's a comparison being made. And so we have a choice to make between temporary trappings and eternal treasures. And so that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. But instead, he says what? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, don't lay up treasures on earth, but in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have you noticed have you noticed that sometimes we think that we own possessions and we find out that those possessions that we think we own end up owning us? There's another movie back in the 90s, Tom Hanks, called The Money Pit. You remember that? He bought a house and the house, he thought he owned the house and the house ended up owning him. Sometimes we do the same thing. Faithful in temporal possessions. Don't you want to be faithful in the things that God has given you to steward here and now? If we're faithful in temporal possessions, God's going to entrust to us the things of the kingdom. When we steward our time and our talents and our treasures well, God promises to bear a spiritual fruit in us that will last. So, we have a choice between temporary and eternal. Last, the last thing that I want you to see out of this passage is that generosity is a tool that will set you free from idolatry. Please, if you haven't listened to a thing that I've said so far, please hear me. If you're not a part of the church or you've never given before, um, I, I want you to hear me in this. When you think that I want something from you, we don't want something from you. God does not need your money. You know, God's never paced the floors of heaven going, I don't know how I'm going to make it this month. I, I wish somebody would help me. Jesus does not want something from you, nor do we as a church, but we want something for you. And there is a freedom that comes in generosity. Look at verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. You ever thought about it that way? I'm not serving money. It's really easy to say that and to get caught up serving mammon. He says, no one can serve two masters. 
For either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon. You ever heard somebody say, all the church wants is your money? It's not true. Jesus spoke so much about money. Why? Not because he wanted it. Because he wanted something for you that money was keeping you from. John Piper, I've got a quote up here. John Piper says it this way. He says, so the reason money is so crucial for Jesus is that across all cultures and all ages, it represents the alternative to God as the treasure of our hearts. And therefore, the object of our worship. It becomes the great threat to our obedience to the first and the last of the Ten Commandments. The first is don't have any other gods before me, and the last is don't covet. He said it represents the threat to our obedience to the first and the last of the Ten Commandments. And then he goes on, money represents all the other material things and securities and pleasures that it can buy. Therefore, it represents the great alternative to God in our hearts. This is why what we do with our money is so crucial to Jesus. Jesus died to set you free. He died to set you free from sin and death and hell. He he died to set you free through His cross, through His shed blood and broken body. He died to set you free from sin and shame. And now, as we have, are living as believers, He wants to set us free from something that so entangles our lives. And that is the pull that money has on us. The deceitfulness of riches. He's got a freedom for you in this life that comes as we find the chains broken through generosity possessions to mammon it's not that he wants something from you but he wants something for you chip ingram in that same book he goes on to say um, that money makes promises that it can't fulfill he said it ends up only being a harsh taskmaster destroying relationships and keeping its servants chasing after the wind have you ever been at a funeral where the people are arguing about the estate Destroys relationships. What money promises, whether it's security or significance or purpose or happiness, only God can provide. And so God wants to set us free through generosity to trust Him for all those things. Why? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let me make this practical. Four things to make this practical. Number one, generosity gives back to God. We have to remind ourselves constantly that everything that that I have currently doesn't belong ultimately to me. It came from God. God's going to pass it however He wants to pass it. It doesn't belong to me. So when I'm giving, I'm not giving to God something that He does not have or something that He needs. I'm giving back to Him that which came from Him. 
We're only managers. We're only stewards of what belongs to Him. And the way we steward and are generous with God's resources is a reflection of our relationship with Him. As we seek His will and make decisions about His resources, we grow closer to Him. Second thing I want you to see is generosity gives God our first and best. Why do we give God first? Because it reorders the loves of my heart. When I put God first, when I prioritize God, not just in my my spiritual life, but in my finances, it reorders the loves of my heart. I remember the day, maybe you remember the day where you started tithing. And you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. We don't have two nickels to rub together. Liz and I were living on a $13,000 a year youth pastor salary. We didn't know how to do it. We couldn't turn on our heat in the winter because it was propane. We couldn't afford that stuff, so we had firewood. Right? I don't know how we're going to tithe. But when we began to give our first, you know something funny? I never missed it. God found a way to provide for His people even when we didn't know how we could do it. So generosity gives God first and best. David says it this way. He says, I'm not going to give to the Lord something that costs me nothing. And Jesus at the widow's mite. Do you remember? I think it's Mark chapter 12. He's sitting at the treasury in the temple. He watches all these rich people come and put these great amounts in. And then there's this poor little old lady who comes in and she puts in two lepta. Nothing. And it says, it says that Jesus applauded her. He commended her. He looks at his disciples and he says, come here. Look at this lady. See, all these people have lots of stuff and lots of mammon. And they came and they put in a lot of money into the temple treasury. But this lady came and she put in, it says, everything she had to live on. And Jesus applauded the widow's might. Why? To show that it's not about the amount, but about the sacrifice. She had a generous heart. The third practical thing that I want you to understand is that generosity is a matter of the heart. Now, you don't hear me talk about tithing very much. Here's why. Follow me. Let me tell you the tale of two people, okay? You can have two people sitting right next to each other in the same pew. In their bank account, they have the same amount of money. And on Sunday morning, they show up and they put the same amount in the offering plate. One of them is pleasing to the Lord and one of them not. One of them says to the Lord, I'm giving this as a free will offering, I love you and I'm giving this to you because I do. One of them says, all the church wants is my money. I can't believe my wife's making me give like this. And in their heart, they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're doing it not with a pure heart. And so you can have two people giving the same amount of money off of the same amount that's in the bank and one of them be pleasing to, to the Lord and one of them not. 
So generosity is not a matter of amounts, but about the heart. And we have to make sure that our hearts are right. See, tithing requires a calculator. But generosity requires a conversation with the creator and owner of all things. And I just, which one do you think God wants? A calculator or a conversation? One moves a decimal point. One moves the heart. Last, generosity gives regularly, even when it doesn't feel like it. Generosity gives regularly, even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when it doesn't understand. I don't always feel like loving my wife. Let me rephrase that. My wife doesn't always feel like loving me. That's probably more believable, isn't it? If you know Liz, you know, yeah, he just made that up, right? But that's not what love is, is it? Love's not a feeling. Because you can fall in love, fall out of love if it's a feeling. Love is a decision. So too is our relationship with Christ. It's not a feeling. Worship's not a feeling. It's a decision. So too our Generosity is not a feeling, but a decision. So as we close our time today, you might say, Pastor, thanks, but no thanks. And I just want to ask you, first and foremost, there might be people in this room today who have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And again, I don't want you to be generous. I want you to give your heart to Christ. And if you give your heart to Christ, He'll take care of everything else. If you give your heart to Jesus, He'll take care of your wallet. And so today, that's my greatest plea to you. Is don't leave this place carrying out the same sin and shame and baggage that you brought in of your past, because Jesus has dealt with it on the cross and through an empty grave. You might be in here and you say, Pastor, I understand all that you've said about generosity, and I want to get there, but I don't know where to start. We would love to help you. We'd love to help you start, to take the first step. We understand that there are seasons in life that You don't know how to pay your bills and and give. And we want to help you walk through that season to a place where you can be generous in all that you do. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a closing song. And then we're going to come into a church conference, a brief church conference. Well, let's, let's center our hearts back on Christ. Let's sing to Him. Let's worship Him. Would you pray with me? Father, today we come. And we remember 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which reminds us that we can be generous, we can be cheerful givers, because you who were rich became poor for us. 
so that in you, we might become rich. And you're not talking about finances. You're talking about Jesus, the King of glory, dethroned himself, left heaven, took on the form of a man, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that at the right time, God might exalt him. He died on the cross for us so that spiritually we might go from paupers and peasants to having every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Father, there are some in this room who need to trust Jesus. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you out there and today you've walked into this place and you're carrying your guilt and your shame and your past, you're still holding on to your sin, you don't know how you'd get to heaven and today you want to nail it down and say, I know that I know that I know I need a Savior and I believe that Jesus is that Savior. If you want to put your trust in Him today, I'm asking you, would you just raise your hand? It's just me looking. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, it's my day. I want to meet Jesus as Savior and Lord. And Father, for the rest of us, we pray that you'd make us more like your son. Help us to be generous in all things. Change our heart. Move the, the needle of our heart one degree closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. If you'd like to join our church.